welcome into episode 27 of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. Hope you guys are doing awesome today. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well. All right, man. What you got going on this weekend? Oh, watching a little bit of the Olympics. Yeah. Seen any uh, skating? Skateboarding is that? Yeah, it's actually uh, really cool. It's cool to watch that these definitely nowadays. Definitely cool. Congratulations to Japan for getting gold. We still got, we still medaled. We got bronze. Yeah. I need to catch up. I haven't watched like all of it. Oh man, it's so entertaining. Yeah, it, it makes me feel like if if we went any farther with sports, that drumming could be an Olympic sport. <laughs> Possibly, it could it's be. about time with skateboarding. That's such a huge industry. It's well, massive. It, it, it's been around since the early or mid seventies in America, yeah. and then it got really, really popular. And then, I mean, even in what the commentators were saying was in Japan it's still not even that big of a sport weird and so to have it in the first ever uh you know olympic run of, of skateboarding in Japan and for Japan to go get gold yeah it's like well this is going to be huge for Japan sure and, you know, sure sales are going to go through the roof for every skateboarding company now and- well there's some really obscure sports in the olympics like even like bobsledding, that's a really that's a really odd. Well, sport. now you're talking Winter Olympics. Yeah, you're right. So, that's a winter sport. It's a little so, different. But I just mean there's some there's some strange sports that are like, what is this? Like, uh, what group of people has been doing this yeah. so long that they get to compete on like a world stage? Skateboarding to me is like obvious. It's so massive, you know. Yeah. Well, at least in our country, it's huge. Well, incredibly physical. The fact that they can just like bail and get injured all the yeah. time during the sport also they're just like chilling with airpods in yeah like, while they're skating their phones in their pockets yeah, they I'm do. like <laughs> Phone that's in the like pocket. the only sport where <laughs> yeah. that's acceptable well it's weird it gets into that territory so kind of a drum thing really but like it it is competitive it can be competitive skateboarding but also there's an artistic like interpretive sort of Mm -hmm. element of like who did a trick cleaner like that's that's really subjective it's a lot like a drumming competition like two people play drum solos like who did better is kind of a weird question to ask so i feel like that's the that's that weird threshold of like is this a sport or is it an art and how do you judge it necessarily like right it makes it difficult you know I think you could. I mean, if you, it's just about quantifying the actions sure. of, of every competitor. Yeah. So it's how does this person execute a double stroke well? And yeah. how can they play this fill and incorporate it into this structured format? I think the key can, is, I think the key is definitely having judges who have like, seasoned taste, mm-hmm. like judges with like a good set of eyes. Because yeah. like, you and I could watch a skateboarding, co- well, I don't know, we, we know a little bit about skateboarding, but like, like to to watch two people do the same thing and then to be able to say precisely why one was better mm-hmm. right like you need a good set of eyes for that just like in music right two two people play like a i don't know a paradiddle fill like mm-hmm. you you have to ha- have listened to a lot of paradiddle fills to say like that one was cleaner and here's why because yeah. a lot of people might not be able to know well you've judged a one or two drum offs, the drum right? Offs, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, how was that? Would you like you had to quantify certain things? Yeah, right? it's it's tough, man. It's it's really hard. Yeah, it's it's really tricky. There's, you, you know, you try to judge people based off of like where they are. So you can you can definitely tell if somebody has been playing drums for a, a shorter amount of time, but they worked super hard on what they played. Mm-hmm. And so you try to give them a little bit of credit for that because you could also have someone who was very advanced but just came in and like winged it. And it's objectively a little bit better because they've been playing drums longer, but it almost seems like they didn't really rehearse or practice too much and you mm-hmm. see some flubs in there versus the younger drummer who had a really tight performance within the context of like how long they've been playing and stuff. So like you try to balance that stuff out a little bit but it's hard. It's like art versus art. Like there were definitely some examples of like two guys played awesome solos and really it's like who did you like better? It's kind of like that's all you can really do, you know? Mm. Cuz if if you'd score them the same in technical ability in cleanliness in like I don't forget what the categories were. I have a video on it actually if anyone was ever interested in um, the parameters of how a drum contest is judged. When I judge the guitar center drum off locally a few times, there's definitely um, th- th- there's there's really specific categories that you're supposed to look for. But it's interesting to talk that out because they're all debatable of like what you should count and what you shouldn't, and how many points this is worth and what this is worth, and y- like judging people on originality is tough because like what are you gonna play that's truly original like i know you're using all rudiments you didn't come up with those like if you play a basic rock beat like well that's extremely unoriginal right like fundamentally it is so like it's 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 a weird one man it's it's definitely 
like arts and comp- and competition have a weird marriage. They're strange. Yeah, I mean, we could go back to the Olympics, like gymnastics. I don't even been watching that. I've seen all. the clips, just highlights. I mean, yeah. it's just been around for so many years, and I still watch it. Going, how in the hell do you like watch a performance and just go oh, seven point eight? Like, yeah, I don't get it. They're, they're particularly <laughs> I, nerdy. Where understand. like the stuff that they like, oh, I don't know about that. I think it was a little, you know, seven. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. They seem <laughs> they seem like pretentiously nitpicky, but but we sound that way with drums, we probably, do. probably. We do. It'd be a very very interesting. But also, it's it's so. You know, physical and there's no noise with sports, so they're able to just kind of sit and converse and just yeah. talk about like <laughs> they get way up on the mic and whisper like that. It's so <laughs> funny. It's like golf and other golf's other just things. like that. It's very it's funny. Yeah. Um, you can also just kind of like catch a glimpse of all the different um nuances they say to just like fill time. Yes, just, a lot of time killing. You see. The form. Like they yeah. just slow down. It's super funny. Anyway, I, a lot of that. En- enough of the Olympics. I sh- I'm obsessed with it every four years, so we just got to get that out of the way. Um, anyway, usually on the podcast, we start out with Loops of the Week. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, did Casey say anything about Loops last week? Casey with Loops. No, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about Loops, I don't ah. think. I don't think that came up. But we have, we've used some Loops for projects with him before. The What was that big thing we did? The two million drummer celebration, where I took, oh, yeah. took the sonar and drove up there. We used the loop for um, the tr- one of the trap loops, I think, for that track. And yeah, he's used them before for a handful of things, but no, it didn't come up in our podcast. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I bet if he were to choose a loop to practice to, uh, Casey would choose something from Classic Rock Volume One. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, he's a classic you know, individual. Hey, I've had conversations <laughs> with Casey before. I'm famous, and uh, you know he likes that four on the floor stuff. So yeah. uh, from Classic Rock Volume One, I chose Loop Three this week. Loop Three loop of the week. So, All right. Yeah. Well, let, let's uh, let's let him hear it. Classic yeah. Rock V One Loop Three. That is extra classic-y, that thing. That's, uh, what do you think, 70s? Straight out of 70s? Uh, yeah, late 70s. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, well, The Who. The Who's not late 70s. I don't know, a lot of those tones in there sound very, well, thinking uh... kind of like organist, like Pink Floyd stuff. Yeah, I mean, definitely an organ-heavy yeah, kind of track. going into that, like, really, really multi-instrumental thing that, yeah. that does we don't have elements like that in music anymore. Yeah, not necessarily. You know? Yeah, it... it just look at the like the regression of like Maroon Five. Like used to be like five piece funk. That's the setup. Yeah. And then just like no instruments now. Yeah. <laughs> like zero instrument. Like yeah. I hate that sometimes because well, I don't know. I mean it's not that that nobody uses real instruments anymore. But um, I don't know, like, that's why, like, some of the more, like, modern uh, Bruno Mars kind of stuff, because mm-hmm. it's like, man, I can count six instruments that you use. Yeah. And yeah, there's still a synth and there's some other program stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, nice to hear real instruments every once well, in a while. Well, it's also just cool because it's like, well, this, like, famous music group is employing ten people, not two. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, like, ten people get to go on tour. It's kind of like Snarky Puppy. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a ton of them. Sure, That's sure. Cool. We have a little less money for everybody, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, at least everybody, everybody got a job. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would just depend on how big of you know places you're selling out. Yeah, exactly, relative to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's a good, um, that's a good... 
Loop Pack, Classic yeah. Rock. Shout out Brother Joe Hodgen on the guitar. Shout out and, uh, oh, and before I forget, before we go on to the next segment, um, we have a, just a, I don't know the exact number, but we'll be still have a handful of Entity OD snare drums left. Um, there's a video that I'll link down in the description, um, which explains what that snare drum is. It's my signature snare drum made by Brother Sal Morales down in uh, Australia. And there, I want to say that there's maybe about 10 of those snares left. We, we make them in limited batches. So like 20 or 25 at a time. This is the second batch. And I think we have somewhere in the ballpark of only 10 of those left. It's a sick snare drum. I won't bore you with the details here. Um, but any of my videos that you've heard in the last probably three years have been that snare drum. We worked on uh, making some changes to it and kind of developed some prototypes and then rolled it out as the Entity OD. So yeah, uh, get your hands on one of those if you want. And um, yeah, that's what I got, man. So what do we got coming up next? Well, what we have coming up next is Accent or Ghost. Accent or Ghost. Always a fun little thing. Get a little opinions. Oh, yeah. Uh, your views on many aspects of the drumming industry. At the end, we'll get an approval about that aspect, which is an accent, or a disapproval, which is a ghost. All right, let's All right. do it. So what do you think about using a desk chair as a drum throne? Maybe I would. I've never actually tried that before. Maybe in like some weird bad gig situation i've like rolled up an office chair if that's all you have i feel like i've seen that before um i i don't know i mean i, I like like active seating positions so i don't like relaxing and sinking into a chair almost ever um but that's more of like an editing thing i but especially with drums though yeah i like to be super active like on the edge of the throne weight still kind of on my feet and sitting like super upright and kind of forward so an office chair I don't know. It's almost like stuff would get in the way. There's like so much to it. Like you don't want armrests on it and you don't want it to rock too much because that would kind of throw you off after a while. I would probably say emergencies only. Would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it would be it would be ideal. Yeah, I think I'll probably have to ghost it. Probably. I think you'd be better off with like a wooden bench or something, something like stable that doesn't move a piano bench a piano bench yeah that would like a keyboard bench it yeah would be a bad idea that might work fine yeah. yeah i think you'd need the stability i think that's that's would be the problem is that you know even like this is a really really nice office chair that i'm sitting in it's a herman miller aeron and i bought it back when i had back problems to be honest i don't use this chair for anything other than this podcast like at all i don't mm -hmm. i don't edit it anymore i stand for almost all of that stuff but um yeah i think it's not going to be stable enough on a on a drum set also, buy a throne. They're like, you know, we've talked about this before, but you can get, yeah, a, buy thr a, throne, buy you can a, get throne. a throne for like 50, 60 bucks. Yeah. But, you know, go spend two or 300, get, get a rock and sock, get a DW, get a, get a Gibraltar, get a Pearl. Yeah. They all make dope thrones. It's worth, worth the money for sure. So, yeah, no office chair. I think we're, no we'll, we'll, I think we'll ghost it. Man, getting a ghost. Even that Herman Miller. Yeah, feel even bad. Herman Miller. Feel bad for all the dudes who are buying expensive gaming chairs that are using them as drum thrones, but yeah, the gaming chair industry is is popping. Those they things, got some wild chairs, don't they? Yeah, but it's like one of those you get up and you're just like, oh, uh, your yeah. body feels gross. Well, they're very like <laughs> melty, right? Yeah. It's almost like a racing seat. It's like it doesn't have but to be. But not a even like it's like it's like terrible, terrible support. In all honesty, like an actual racing seat, like a Corbo or a Recaro, would sure. be better than a gaming chair. Oh, I'm sure. But you're, you're looking at Four times the price. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I I'm, I agree with you. We should go desk chairs as drum thrones. Buy yeah. a drum throne. Buy, buy a drum throne. They make dope ones. Yeah. Go get one. All right. Cool. Uh, and then what do you think about improvised drum solos as opposed to prearranged, pre-thought drum solos? So my personal preference there would be would be the improvised version. Because I like the spontaneity. I like the like free form expression. It's the difference between giving a speech and having a conversation. Right? Conversation might not be the right word. It's more like a monologue. But I like hearing the free flowing expression, sort of just what's inside people's heads and let that come out. Because there's an, and this is the wrong word to use, but there's like an element of cheating when it comes to like pre written solos. And that is that you could have spent any amount of time developing this material. So like, for example, you could probably write a speech on a certain topic that is far beyond your ability to improvise on that topic, right? So you do your research and you type up exactly how you want to say it and you edit it and you hone in on all these details and then it's perfect. And then you memorize that. And then it's like you go to a bar and you start talking to a stranger and then you recite this speech. Well, like that's really, really impressive, but it's also not representative of 
how your thoughts actually work. It's like a weird representation because that's not how you can talk this out normally. And so there, there's a the word contrived comes to mind. Something mm. about writing solos feels a touch contrived, but it's also contextual because if you are going to perform that solo in front of a large group of people, ugh, you should probably have an, a ballpark of like what you want to mm -hmm. do here, right? Like fully improvising in some scenarios is borderline like unprofessional. Um, so yeah, I, I would think on a personal level, I always enjoy improvising, but on like the professional level, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to necessarily do that. If you're playing an arena tour and you've got a drum solo section, maybe don't improvise that. Like maybe have a have an idea of where we're going here so your band can keep up with the solo, uh, so you know how long it's gonna be. Um, but on a personal level, if I just had to sit down and play for fun, like I'm always improvising. I, I'm not writing any, any particular part. But mm. I think for the most part I'll give, um, well, I don't know, you asked like which, I don't know how to accent or ghost it necessarily. I think it, I, I would ghost the idea of pre-writing a solo. Um, why would I ghost that? I don't know. Maybe if you've just never, if, if you've never done it any other way, if that's the only way you've ever written like solo kind of material is being very, very intentional and thoughtful about it, I would say try it the other way. That's kind of my advice. If you just do it one way all the time, you'd benefit from doing it the other way. So if you're improvising constantly, like try putting some some boundaries and parameters on a solo and really shaping, shaping up a drum part, uh, that would benefit you a ton. And again, if that's the only way you've ever done it, then try, you know, take a risk, try improvising. But those are both totally valid ways to do it. It's just the context of the the specific event. Like, what are we doing this for, you know? Okay, so an, so an approval, an accent. Yeah, for Put sure. You can, you can do both of those things right, for sure. All right, improvisation, cool. Well, the pretty short accent or ghost All this right. time around, so that'll end that out. Cool, that'll cool. move us on to a little bit of a newer segment, Swap Study Shed. Oh, yeah. This is a fun one. Uh, for this piece of the podcast, I'll give Adam three drummers that he has to choose which one he would swap gigs with, take a lesson from, or hang out and shed with. And this first round, we featured Dennis Chambers, Chad Sexton of 311, Okay. And I apologize for mispronouncing this as if I do. Longino W. Parsons the third, also known as LP, which is the original drummer of Yellow Card. Yellow Card, wow. Mm. I've never heard of him before. LP? No. Oh, I've never, man. never heard of him. You got some YouTube videos to watch. Man. All right. <laughs> Yellow Card. So, okay, that's interesting. So Chad Sexton. Um, it's 311, Dennis Chambers, the OG, mm -hmm. and then LP. Um, how do you pronounce his first name? I believe it's Longino. Longino. Longino? Longino. Longino. Yeah. Cool name. Um, okay, this is a tricky one, man. It's weird. Because Yellow Card and 311 have hit me the same in that, like, nostalgic gig mm -hmm. sort of thing. Very nostalgic. I feel like... Oh, I don't know, because a yellow card gig would be fun, too. That's like early pop punk kind of thing. That would be super fun to play. Who played bigger shows, 311 or oh, yellow 311. card? 311, For right? For sure, because they're still doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, yellow card. Yeah. Eh. I, think, mm, I think I might take the 311 gig. I think I would take the 311 gig. because Oh, act, okay. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it. So I'm going to take the yellow card gig mm. from LP. I'll play, play swap with him. Um, the study, I think I have to go Dennis Chambers. How do you not take a lesson with Dennis Chambers? He was teaching out of Baltimore for quite a while. I think he was... It was expensive, like 100 or 120 an hour, which is an earned price, you know, yeah. for, for one of those guys. But, um, yeah, I think Baltimore is where he taught out of for a while. So I would definitely study with him. Um... And then shed, I would do. I would do Chad Chad Sexton just because hanging out in the three eleven environment that would be really cool. Like I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what those shows are like. Right, that would be. It's an interesting market and a group yeah. of people. They're super chill, man. Yeah, that's a good one. What would you do with these three? Uh, I would study with LP. Okay, uh, and then I would swap with Chad, and then I would shed with Dennis. Shed with Dennis. Okay, you know, it's funny to too because saying that out loud sounds like I I want to be embarrassed, but I think that like that kind of humbling experience would push me as a person more so than like, you know, 
shedding with Chad. Sure, you know? sure. Like, oh, okay, cool. I shed it with the drummer of 311. It's like, no, I, I got embarrassed by Dennis James. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a, a better answer. story. That's a good answer. You it know? is a better story, too. Yeah, I don't know. Hell yeah, that was a good one. All right. Cool, that'll do it for round one. Quick round, man. All right. Rapid fire these. <laughs> um, we got round two. Round two. Got some uh, some old reliables. Johnny Rab. Okay. Yost Nickel. And okay. Robert Sput Seawright. Okay. So. Oh, I like that picture of Sput. That's cool. Yeah, isn't that dope? Yeah, that's wow. sick. And the picture of Yost is hilarious. That's, that's so am- cool. That's what amazing. a cool guy, man. <laughs> and then the Johnny Rep photo, too. You got some wild photos for this Dude, one. What I, year did this uh, Minel ad for Johnny Rab come out? Oh, no, 1982. Is um, it really? No. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, it looks early 90s. 2000s. Early 2000s. For sure. He did Generation X a long time ago. Yeah, that's not a good ad. That's so corny. That's so cool. That's <laughs> so cool. You wish you could have photos like that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah right? Man, okay. So, Johnny Rab, to me, I, technique always comes to mind. He's like a technique wizard. He's got... um. I don't know, just a lot of wild, kind of like a Jojo Mare type of drummer where it's very technique oriented. So studying with him, I think, would be very interesting. I'm tempted to say study with Yost, but Yost is also cool. So I kind of just want to want to hang out with Yost. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to stick with that. So Johnny Rab, I would study. I take the lesson with him specifically to get some weird techniques. I think I'm just going to hang out with Yost because Yost Nicholas is very, very cool. If you've ever seen him on podcasts or interviews or ever talk with the guy, he's a really, really cool guy. Um, goofy, too. He's like a silly dude, so he'd be a fun hang for sure. And then uh, with Sput, I would shed with him and get absolutely annihilated. And I love that. that oh, wait, hold, that, on. hold on. You're going to hang out with Yost? That's shed. Oh, hang out is shed. So the next Sorry. one is swap. Swap. Oh, man. Okay. I'm, I'll swap with Sput then in that case. You're right. Sorry, oh, I, I okay. mixed those two up like Shed and Hangout. We're not the same so thing. So we're doing a little Ghost Note gig. Yeah. Go, or I prefer Snarky. Yeah. But, Ooh, that's but a tall order, man. The problem is I just I can only sit in for like one song because I cannot <laughs> do like a three-hour Snarky Puppy gig. I don't have it in me, man. My brain will just melt like two songs in. Yeah. But I could do one. I could do one or two songs. No problem. Ooh. That, that'd be fun. Uh, I don't know. I would do What About You? Or was it What About Me? It's What About Me. What About Me. That's the song I would do. Yeah. I would, yeah. I want to swap and only that song, please. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Comment down below if you'd like Adam to post a cover of that song. Uh, Give me six months. <laughs> six months? You can do it in a... A month. Solid. That one song, yeah, probably. It's a one, long song, though. They're all like 10 minutes, right? Uh, It depends on... Live or recorded. Yeah. Live is twice as long. You're right. Solos, you're right. But yeah, you could do... Yeah, just recorded version and yeah, not emulate what Sput had recorded originally, but get the sections down at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're pretty. It'd be a lot of fun. I love this picture of him. That's sick. Whatever that Isn't background that stuff is, it's, it's just a lot of lights. It's yeah, a lot of cool uh, gobos, man. All right, Some cool gobos. You that you the the lighting boy. It's mm. <laughs> <laughs> one term. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. So what cool. was that? We're gonna. We're going to study with Johnny. Study with Johnny. We're going to shed with Yost, and we're going to swap with Sput. Yes, for that's one the song. plan. Shedding with Yost would also be embarrassing. Um, but yeah, and then swap with Sput, but only one song. And it, I want it to be What About Me. I'm, I'm <laughs> surprised because with Yost's teaching record, Benny Greb, Annika Niles, yeah, and then possibly several other drummers you've never heard of yeah. that are probably wildly amazing. Well, so I look at it this way, though. With Yost, um, he has so much educational material that I also feel like I could learn a lot from him. Like, I own both of his books. He's got Yost has... Um, I think he's got several books, but Yost Nichols' Phil book and Yost Nichols' Groove book, I've talked about on this podcast before. Both of those are absolutely sick. So in my eyes, I'm like, if I want to learn some Yost stuff, I got two of his books sitting around here that are just, they're, they're, they're so well done, so well done. Definitely uh, worth your money if you want to invest, you know, um, in some uh, Yost Nickel concepts, man. He's a great ki- killer, killer teacher. But you're right. I mean, it would be not a bad choice to take a lesson with Yost Nickel, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, well. Cool. That was a good one, man. Cool. That'll end out Swap Study Shed. That'll move us on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight. That's right. In this segment, we introduce a drummer that y'all are honestly sleeping on. 
and we'll get Adam's opinions, impressions, and constructive criticism, if any at all. First up today from France, France. Who, who we are killing in medals in the Olympics, by the way. <laughs> um, although they did a really good job in uh, men's BMX. So. Okay. Good for France. Shout out France. Anyway, enough about men. Let's talk about the women of France, uh, specifically at Clara Drums. Okay. Sick drummer from France over there. Got about 7,000 followers. Let's check out some videos from Clara. All right. Video one from Sister Clara. How dead is that kit? Whew, that thing is funked out. Awesome. That was um, that was good, man. I it, it was tough for me to tell what was intentionally, um, what's the word? Like like chunked out, like almost like that intentional. I don't want to say de delay, but like like in the ballpark of drunk drumming necessarily. Mm -hmm. It was inter it was kind of an interesting clip in that way. Uh, also, I love her crash symbol. That is it an extra dry thin? Something like that. Sounds like it's my left crash symbol. Same one. Well, I don't know. There's a short clip. Let's play that one more time. It might actually be the Zildjian Dry. I think it's Istanbul. Istanbul. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I love the kit sound. Those toms, just that yeah. that fat thuddy sort of sound, man. That, that was that, that Ludwig, man. Yep. Super nice soft dope. box in the back, getting that quality light in there. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Let's do one more clip from Clara. Get another one. gong at the end big old sound that was a crazy Something sound like that. yeah that was cool man really cool definitely clara's feel is really on point here that that shuffle was very very clean uh, i also like hearing people transition from like a more straight groove into the triplet groove because that contrast between subdivisions sort of i don't know you can hear like the the level of clarity that they have and her shuffle was very very clean also i like the extra backbeat in there that little extra um, snare hip. I also thought the mix was awesome here too. That like cranked uh, metal snare. It looks like an, an aluminum snare. I think it's an acolyte. Yeah. An acolyte, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, cranked, but with the reverb on it, that was really, really cool. I liked the mix and everything here, man. That was um, that was very, very clean. Definitely well-developed technique too. If you watch her right hand in that clip, um, really, really nice flow uh, to her right hand. So definitely solid technique all around. Ghost notes look good too, man. Yeah, she's awesome. That was sick, Claire. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claire. You're awesome. Yeah, keep right, doing what out. you're doing. Got another drummer up today, as we usually have two. Okay. This drummer was recommended by his friend Raul, who says, I assist this drummer from Durban, South Africa, in posting some content, and he hasn't got the means at this time. His name is Sia Zulu and lives in the Bronx in South Africa, Durban. We call them townships. Okay. This guy has no car, walks to gigs, doesn't even have a drum kit to practice on, but check out his skills. Doesn't have a drum set to practice on. That's yeah. crazy. He says a feature would be great. This guy deserves more exposures. Okay. Sia Zulu. Sia Zulu. That's a yeah. sick name, too. Yeah. All right. First video from Sia. Interesting. It reminds me of a specific thing that um, almost like an Eric Moore kind of approach mm -hmm. in that it's very like 
like heavy, fast punches throughout, right? Like the the overall dynamic level is pretty high, so and and it stays that way, right? Like it's not uh, it, the playing is not subtle. It's like powerful even when it's quiet. There's a certain powerful element, and the accents or like the spikes dynamically, the things that punch out happen often, right? So it's not like it's not like that there's not that much space it's more like like the, it's very quickly yeah, it's a machine gun yeah, yeah it's a machine gun yeah 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 <laughs> um so he's definitely got that sort of style i would like to see in, in a playing style like this a touch more space because what ends up happening is it's um and this is not a bad thing necessarily it's it's all within context but like it's a it's it, it's dynamically very aggressive, right? There's not a lot of breathing room. So it like it makes you have to wake up just to listen to what's happening. Um, and I think a lot of times there's it's almost easier to 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 say certain things rhythmically if you leave a little bit of space to say them instead of like being so punchy, even though those punches are very, very clean for sure. A lot of hand and foot patterns as well, like less in the rudiment playing style and a little bit more of like, like hand-foot combinations, which you can use rudiments to do that, but there were a lot of those in there. But it, those kind of things open up that weird mobility. It's how you jump, like, mm -hmm. you know, from the entire one side of the kit to the other, back and forth really quickly. It's a lot of those weird hand and foot patterns, and he had a bunch of those down, which definitely makes for some cool aesthetic drumming. You get all these, like, weird mobility options, but it was an interesting clip from Sia, for sure. Mm -hmm. Let's do the next clip from him. Uh, hold on one minute before you do that. Okay. It is five and a half minutes long. Okay. So you can watch the whole thing. You just pick out your favorite parts of it. It does get pretty dope, like, a minute in. Okay. Um, but... It, otherwise it's long so you'll be watching okay. it for a little bit gotcha well let's start we'll start from the top and then maybe i'll jump in all right cool really cool really cool i love how powerful he plays man it um first of all that kit sounds good <laughs> yeah awesome sounding kit the toms are super super rich and eq'd yeah. very well they cut right through that mix and i love like i don't know man when people play this powerfully it makes drums sound better. Like they actually sound better. You ever seen somebody do like a cymbal demo on YouTube and they're like, it's like kind of a light little, I'm like, dude, please just smack it with a baseball yeah. bat. Like, please let me hear what it actually sounds you can like. You have this exact symbol at mycymbal.com. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, normally, they're normally pretty good. Mycymbal.com, they're pretty good. Of course, um, yeah. But there's definitely some like cymbal and drum demo. Drums are even more frustrating when they don't like, genuinely just smack the tom super hard yeah like i don't care what it i don't care what like the the lower end resonance sounds like dude i don't care what like the hum of the drum is like yeah but i love hearing people like this play because i'm like oh that's what that kit sounds like um and the symbol too i mean there was one one symbol hit where he just like just like like the Bruce Lee one finger or like one inch punch. Yeah. Remember that whole thing? Just like, <laughs> just like, not no swing or wind up. Yeah. Just like a blast of energy right into it. So it makes your kit sound good. Definitely the kind of drummer that's um, nice to record in the studio. Engineers love these kinds of drummers. It's just so, mm -hmm. so clean and articulate. Um, it's, it's definitely more difficult to mix subtle playing like mixing jazz, I think would be more challenging from an engineering standpoint than mixing. Let's just say, rock or funk or fusion with a drummer that has that kind of power it's just a lot easier to hear what's going on um yeah and i and definitely more subdued ghosty kind of playing in that little solo section not quite the full like eric moore like yeah. powerhouse style though that is kind of his style though definitely punchy but yeah i mean this is an awesome clip from cmn shout out him that was uh yeah. that was sick yeah, and if you want to check out that full cover, it is on his Instagram. So it's cool. about five minutes long. Cool, cool. Anybody wanted to watch that whole thing. And shout out Brother Kaz, too, man. Good oh, buddy. yeah. Shout out Kaz Rodriguez. Yeah, man. Okay, that'll do it for Sleeper Spotlight. Good sleepers today. Yeah, we have a fun Q&A today. Today's Q&A is brought to you by anybody who made comments on the Instachops page of Would You Rather questions. Oh, yeah. So we're going to start out with a heavy hitter. Uh, we talked about Casey Cooper earlier. He's back again. Back again. He's back again. He Can't submitted. get rid of this dude. Yeah, I know, right? He submitted an awesome Would You Rather question. His question is, would you rather listen to one song for 24 hours straight, one album for a month, or one band for a year? <laughs> Let me pull this question out. I feel like I need to read the three options right in front of me. So one song for one day. 24 one hours straight. Hmm. 
What that that would just suck. That would suck. Like it would be okay if it was like a twenty minute song, but there's not that many of those. It, you know, it's more than likely if you're talking like a three minute song. You're just going to hate that song. Hate that song. I couldn't even do that in high school when you listen to the same music like all the time over and over. I couldn't do the same song all day. It it would be over quickly. Well, it's, well, it's 24 hours straight. Yeah. It'd be done. You'd be done. Right? And then you're like, God, I never have to listen to that song ever again. You'd ruin whatever the right? song was. You're going to hate it forever now. But the album for a month. Think of like week two. You're just like, yeah, but see, I re- see that I actually remember doing. I remember in twenty, when was it? Whenever I was like fifteen, when that big Under Oath album came out, not the original big one, the next big one. I don't remember what it was. I was like fifteen or sixteen, so this was like oh five, oh six, and I remember playing that album on repeat exclusively. Like there was no other music that I listened to for at least a month. I remember doing that. That's kind of a young thing to do. Like, you just <laughs> pretend this is the best album in the world for some reason. Was it Cries of the Past or no. The Changing of Times? Uh, so, Changing of Times was older. It was after Changing of Time. Defy the Great Line. Define the Great Line. Define the Great yeah, Line. Yep, that was the one. Wake up, wake up, wake up. That one. I was a big fan of Disambiguation. Oh, okay. Really, really awesome album. Yeah, they were like, like core band within my friends group mm-hmm. at age 14 15 16 for sure um knew all those drum parts could play every album them and like seosin circa survive oh that my whole, god that whole <laughs> angry ambient world seosin i don't know Sayosin. why that brought back like a million memories of just saying that band name that is yeah. so funny oh yeah they were huge when i was in high school massive massive yeah I was and we in... say that now but like yeah they were just massive to us they really weren't that fam- <laughs> famous they were like bands. you know you could go see them and yeah. you were just like there's there's a, a hundred people here yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was famous to us you know because because in regards to like going to local gigs a famous local band had 50 people at the gig but a famous touring band had a hundred plus a few hundred yeah and it was yeah. just like that blew our minds because yeah. we're just like that's so much fans so many people <laughs> funny but crazy yeah yeah all right so okay so yeah. that's that's one album for a month. That sounds doable to me. One band for a year. Uh, if it's an old enough band with enough albums, that would be feasible. But I also don't think you would ever recover from what that would do to you. Like, your 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 playing would be forever changed. If you said, for one year, I only basically take one influence musically, like, that will definitely change your playing. You will start hearing that drummer's playing in everything, right? Because you can't help it. So to me... The most doable version of this, uh, you know, listening to one song for 24 hours straight, one album for a month straight, or one band for a year. I think the album for a month sounds doable, where you could get something out of it. You're not going to go completely crazy and hate the music forever. Um, I think that would be the sweet spot for me. So that's what I'll say. That's a good question. Mm. But yeah, one album for a month straight is what I one would do. One album for a month. Okay. What about you? You sounds like, would you do the single song? Just get no, it over with? Oh, no. I, so I... Rush has 19 albums in their discography. Ooh, that's Which a... is more than an album a month. Yeah. Technically. At least you get the variety. Yeah. And you go through the history of everything, analyze lyrics. Yeah. Um, drum parts, a lot of bass parts and guitar parts. You could study a band like that for a year. You definitely could. Yeah. You definitely know a lot. In a year, you would know more than you would care to know. You would uh, about that band. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. Maybe twenty four hours straight, just so it's done. Just to be done. Yeah. Then I could just pick. I mean, yeah, a twenty minute song. Yeah, you just pick a long song. That's the that's the key. <laughs> you pick a three minute song. You're you're cycling that thing a, a few hundred times, right? Yeah, because as long as it was a good enough band and you were, and it was long enough. Catch the song is "Call Me Maybe." So. Ooh. <laughs> Just trying to think of what would just drive you insane to hear that many times. Probably like a bubblegum pop song. That that would get you. Or like a K-pop song. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> or even if it was like a spoken... I've said this before. Like, I don't deal well with spoken word bands. Yeah. Like, if it was that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would drive you crazy. Though couldn't I, do it. Dude, you mentioned K-pop for a sec. Is BTS considered K-pop? Yeah. Okay. They're Korean. Dude, that song... What's the new one? Um, 
Oh, what's it called? How do I not know the name of it if I'm going to mention it? It sounds like Dirty Loops. The mix sounds like Dirty Loops is what it sounds like. Um, is it Butter? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, there's some corny verses in there. Let's but pulling it up. The, uh, the bridge of that song with that little repetitive, melodic, almost a guitar-type synth tone over it with the weird swung super chunky like thick bass mix man it, it's like they they went for like a dirty loops kind of have, mixing sound i really like it it's it's i don't like anything from that band but that song is sick actually from a mixing perspective like i thought it was mixed super super well very interesting like like ultra modern fusion pop sort of mix which is dirty loops right uh yeah um so i'll, I'll go on record saying i've never listened to bts um i've looked it up on youtube this video on youtube of butter has 490 million views <laughs> 490 million. million that is like unfathomable like 490,000 like yeah. 400 like half a billion views i've never listened to it so i'm just gonna just to understand what you're talking about sure sure we won't play the audio on the podcast copyright shit but go ahead listen to it Oh, that was, good, right? It's, it's definitely, good, it's definitely good. Yeah, yeah that baseline was awesome. Yeah, it was uh. sick. And that's like, I don't, I don't like that music that's like, like clearly written in a conference room. Is what it sounds like. Kinda. It's, just, it's so contrived yeah. to make money. It, it, it just, that's what that band is, you know. But that One, song two, is absolutely three, four, sick. Five, it's so yeah. Look, yeah. BTS butter. Look that up. That shit hits, dude. You can't tell me that song can, hits. That sounds sick. I can see why this has 490 million views. It's it is dope. so visually appealing. Oh, is it? I've never seen the video. The video is sick. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they, so, got the, they got the budget for it. Well, it, a lot <laughs> of it's green screen, but some of it is actual sets. And then there's like wardrobe in it, and the lighting looks fantastic. Yeah. And like the, the color balancing in it, it looks phenomenal. Sure, sure. And whoever the makeup artist is for all these men to make them look like children, <laughs> good fucking job. They do look Holy like... Holy shit. They do look like children oh my god i, I have like a, a cultural di and and maybe it's just like a cultural disconnect necessarily like for some reason like a team of young asian men singing pop songs for young girls you know i don't think i'm supposed to get it like we're not the demographic for a no, band yeah like it's this. fine if we're not fans <laughs> yeah it'd be weirder if we were fans <laughs> it'd be a little weirder if we were yeah but um i don't know it's nice to see in a project like that i'm like oh well you killed that one that song was, that was so dope. dope i've never uh, heard anything else if anything i'm more like cringe at most of their music like what is this in the early days i was like i don't get the craze yeah. and now that they're so big it's like okay i yeah, I kind of get it now. I I understand yeah. like, what angle they were going for. But. Well, Shadowhover mixed that. I think there was an engineer pulling strings on the back yeah. end of that song, and that dude is dope. That was Hybe, sick. Hybe or Hebe labels, I guess is whatever record label that is. I'm okay. not even sure where that is based out of, but probably not if it's here. based out of Korea, it's a Korean producer. Gotcha, gotcha. So, something like that. Right, anyway, anyway, cool. Thank you, Casey, for your Would You Rather question. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Always man. great to feature him and other drummers on the podcast. It was a good question. I said 24 hours straight. Ended up doing that. You said one album for a month. Yeah. So do that. Next, Would You Rather question from okay. Bren Sticker. Okay. Would you rather play a $200 acoustic kit or a $1,000 electric kit? $200. Which are electric kits even good at $1,000? I mean, you're you're definitely above the like bottom end of the barrel, right? Like they're bottom end of the barrel. Is that how you say that? Bottom end um, of the barrel. Yeah, that was probably the wrong way to say it. Like <laughs> like the the cheap the cheapest like entry level electric kits. I would think five hundred bucks is right around where like it's not a toy anymore. A thousand dollars is just over that line, but like they're nowhere near pro until you you get a bit past that. Like three four grand. Well, like you can get the TD seventeen for like seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars, and that that's it's dope. It's really cool, but not a thousand, not quite a thousand dollars. I'm not sure what exact model you'd get. For a thousand, yeah, look that up. Well, what are the the thousand dollar models of electric kits? The problem with a two hundred dollar acoustic kit is like it's gonna be basically a toy. So I don't know if those are the those are the best price points to compare. It might be like five hundred dollar kit versus thousand dollar electric. But basically, which cheap version of those you know would you would you prefer to play? For me, I'm gonna go acoustic like all the time. I think um, I don't know like. Uh, electronic kits, they we've talked about them plenty of times on this podcast, mm -hmm. but for me, they don't like 
really blow me away until they're worth a lot more money. But an acoustic kit, you could get over that really quickly, even if it's cheap. Like you just, okay, it's cheap, but then you still have all the normal options and like less limitations uh, with an acoustic kit. It feels like a little more, you could get used to it and just jam it like it's a normal kit, but a cheap electric kit, you're not going to get over that. Like it sounds bad. It feels bad. It's weird. It, yeah. You're playing plastic. Yeah. Just, yeah. it wouldn't, it just wouldn't have the right, I couldn't ignore that it was cheap, but an acoustic kit, a cheap one. I could ignore that it was cheap and still jam and have fun. So I think that'd be my answer. I think I would go go with the cheaper acoustic if those are my options. Two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars though. A, that might be the wrong price for this question because that that's a Salvation Army kit. Yeah, that's exactly. A, that's one of the a, back of the thrift that's store. That's a Goodwill kit. Which if you can get a kit for cheap, go for it. Like sure. If you're gonna enhance your skills based on zero dollars spent, two hundred dollars. You know, it good, good, good for you. It's yeah. awesome. Make that kit sound. The best. Sure. You know? Also, a TD-17, $1,900. $1,900. Okay, yeah. so we're still not even close. No. That's a great kit, though. That's It's a really yeah, cool... Yeah, they're really good. Uh, but then, like, you know, I don't even think... $1,000. Not an Elisis. Um, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, you definitely need a little cash to get in the electric kit game, for sure. I mean, you could... Yeah, Elisis definitely makes some really, really cheap ones. But I mean, in my eyes, it's not... Oh, it's it. You're in like toy territory, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. You be careful there. Yeah, I don't all think right. Roland makes anything under a thousand dollars. Actually, probably not. Probably not. Okay, TD10. You can get a TD10 for seven hundred twenty dollars. Okay, I'm sure that's or, decent. TD1, sorry, and TD10. Okay, maybe still. But you know, some good yeah. for a thousand dollars. Good yeah, starter yeah. kit. That'd be good. Two hundred dollar acoustic kit all the way though. Mm-hmm. You can beat that thing to hell all day. Cool. Thank you, Bren, for the question. Next, would you rather? From Joey Sinal. Okay. Would you rather only be able to use one rudiment for the rest of your life or use only one hand and two legs? So a la Def Leppard's drummer. Gotcha. So for me, this is easy. I would I would lose a hand. I would lose a hand. I think that is less of a limitation than using one rudiment. Six stroke roll. That's probably what I would pick. Yeah. Probably. But God, there's so much you can't play, right? Because you can't even cut the rudiment short because it's not the rudiment. You have to play the whole thing. So mm-hmm. everything is in a cycle of six. So like, oh, that's so... How do you play a, a measure of 16th notes? You can play two six-stroke rolls. That's 12 notes, and you got four left over. What do you play for the last four? You roll the... You'd have to do a last kick in two of the last six stroke roll into the next bar. Yeah, but yeah, you didn't. So now you you like mandatory going over the bar line. Uh, yeah, that's really tricky. I mean, the smartest one would be a paradiddle, something that technically the cycle is only four notes, like right, left, right, right, or left, right, left, left. Put the kicks in. Yeah, that probably would be the most versatile choice if you could only play one rudiment forever. Would just be a standard paradiddle or an inverted paradiddle. Might actually pick that, but. I, I don't know if you only had one hand. I guess you can't play because <laughs> you can't play any rudiments. But mm. you can do all sorts of combinations. You would find a way to compensate for that. I think that's what I would go with. I would ditch the hand, mm. and uh, yeah, I would do that. One rudiment forever just sounds like how much are you going to say with only one word, right? Like you're going to run out of things to say because you only got you only got one word to to build your sentences with, right? Well, now we we know what we need to do. We need to tie your hand. Whichever one, you can pick left <laughs> or right behind your back, and you have to play to a loop with one hand. With one legs. hand. That's the next video that you have to post. Ugh, I could do it. I could do it. Okay. It would just be... All right. Well, yeah. Well, you said you could do it, so uh, you can't lie to me, <laughs> this can is you? The, this is the content people need. I'm Technically, <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about you know validating people with one arm, take away an arm. Yeah, yeah. Take away an arm. We could do it. Okay, you could do it. Could That's do what it. you said. I did not say I could do it. Uh, the problem is I don't want to. Is the thing. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, last, would you rather from cliff.is.board, would you rather have to sacrifice your second floor, Tom, which is still there, Okay. or your second crash? Which, Get, uh, oh, what okay. is your second crash on your kit? Second crash, that's the... Extra thin hammered 20-inch crash. Oh, okay. that's a good one, too. Ooh. So get rid of the second crash symbol or the second floor tom. Mm. I think probably second floor tom because, for me, the second floor tom has turned into... 
I guess I would describe it as like an auxiliary tom in that I don't I could play entire songs and never touch it. It's not like I depend on it where like I would go to hit it and be like, oh, no, it's not there. That would happen all the time if I took that crash away, though. Like it would take like six months before I stopped swinging for it because it's been in that position for like many, many, many years. Probably my entire life. I think I've always had two crashes up top, right? But the that that the third tom, the big floor tom set back, I think I would pretty quickly get used to that not being there. I don't think that would be too big of a deal. So that's what I would do. But that's mm-hmm. uh I like that one. It's it's very tricky. Very tricky for sure. It's one of those I mean, once you have it kind of permanently set up, you would miss it for a bit. Yeah, some stuff. Did you ever play two floor toms? Nah. No? Nah. Always just one up, one down. It seemed like one thing to be like, oh, I got to keep going to use this. There's no application for it unless there's like really heavy rock beats, something like that. I was only in like a weird surf rock band, so it just (laughs) didn't apply to that. Yeah, you don't need it in surf rock. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. It's, um, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's definitely, I don't know. It, I think you would have a harder time getting rid of a rack tom if you were used to playing like two up, like a 10 12 or a 12 13, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tom sizes people are doing that. You know, I think that you would get very, very used to something up and in front of you. It's almost like a positional mm-hmm. thing, though, because the all extra floor toms are like back and to the right. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see it quite as often. So I think you would, you could get used to not having that. Yeah. But if you took away a rack tom, that's a problem for sure. Ooh. I would be swinging all the time up there if you were mm-hmm. used to that, right? Uh, all right, cool. Well, thank you guys for your would you rather questions. That'll do it. That'll close out the Q&A segment of the podcast. All right. I'll leave it to you to close out the entire podcast. It's been lovely. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. So I thought it would only be appropriate that we would close out a podcast like this by acknowledging, um, you know, big loss to the drum industry in uh, in Joey Jordison, man. That's a rough, rough week for the metal world, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, powerful player, influenced a lot of people. I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast that would that would list Joey Jordison as one of their favorite drummers and a guy who had a, a big reach, big influence, and, you know, certainly made a big impact in the drum industry. So, I don't know. It's one of those things that always makes you think, like, you know... I mean, life is fatal. Like, we're all, you know, this kills yeah. all of us, right? Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things, like, man, it is weird to think that we'll we'll see the death of so many different drummers. You know, he was very young. I think he was 46 when he died, which is very, very young. Um, but it is weird to think that, like, man, we're... we're eventually going to lose them all you know it's it's strange to think about that so it's definitely a um a good week to to appreciate you know whatever whatever drummers that that you like that you've taken influence from that you enjoy if they're older than you you'll probably live to see them you know move on from this planet so it's uh i don't know it's it's always it's it's whenever you lose somebody somebody passes like that always good to just think like man are you are you living in full appreciation of those kinds of people, you know, because it's, uh, you know, you can't keep everybody in the forefront of your mind at all times. But sometimes there's moments where it's like, you know what, let me just take a minute to say, like, I really appreciate this drummer, this player. Maybe you've got somebody, somebody like that, um, where it's just it's it's a worthwhile thought experiment to say, man, one day that guy's not going to be here, but he's here right now. And that's awesome. So um, I'm sure I can speak for everybody when I say, you know, Joey Jordison will be deeply, deeply missed. Awesome player. Uh, and again, a guy who has uh, who had a lot to be proud of. That's for sure. Left a big dent in the music industry for sure. So shout out, Joey. Rest in peace, brother. Thank you, Joey. (laughs) That's all I got for you in this episode, guys. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. This has been episode 27 of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. We will catch you guys next week. See you. Bye.